Assalamu alaikum and welcome to a brand new episode of the TMV podcast. I am your host, Hasee Brizvi. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking about the concept of jihad al-nafs equaling mental health and, and vice versa. Um, this was actually an idea that was floated to me last year by a scholar uh, and their friend. And when he initially said it to me, it kind of puzzled me for a moment and then it took a while for the penny to drop. And then I started thinking about it a lot more and you know uh, realized like that was a very true statement and of course i feel like if more and more people perceived mental health that way and jihad enough that way equally it would really help us kind of overcome a lot of the obstacles that we face in life in our own minds um, so uh, today i'm joined by barack hussein clinical psychologist and uh, you've obviously you've heard her on previous episodes of the podcast and she's a regular guest and so we kind of unpack this a little bit more and, and speak a lot more about jihad and nafs and, and mental health and what it means and uh, she does an amazing job uh, explaining what the nafs is and the three parts of it uh, which was a learning uh, for me as well um, so we really hope you enjoy uh, this episode um, before that uh, wanted to quickly ask you guys if you could please leave a like on the on the video below if you're watching on youtube that is that'd be really appreciated make sure you obviously subscribe and share it with your friends and family and if you're listening to the podcast um, then please leave a five star rating um, and also leave a comment again um, i know it's just it's, it's very kind of weird to always ask that it's a classic youtuber thing but it really does make a big difference and obviously because we've been away for such a long time the algorithms may not necessarily be on our side uh, so your support really really makes a big difference so again i appreciate it um without further ado let's jump straight into the podcast with barack last year uh, i met with a scholar a very good friend of mine as well um and, and he said something to me he said he said um mental health is jihad and nafs and jihad and nafs is mental health and it, it took a moment for it to kind of like absorb because initially I was just kind of like, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's phrased in a way where it kind of forces you to ask a lot of questions almost, you know, like because we've learned almost as if these two things are separate from each other. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of like started to, to kind of accept and understand that what he said is actually true. Um, and so I wanted to put that to you as well, like, do, do you agree with that statement that he said? Absolutely. I think it's an interesting way of putting mental health in that perspective, especially when we look at it from an Islamic, a spiritual perspective, right? When we connect it that way. But let's take a look here in terms of before getting into further with jihad and nafs, let's first look at what the nafs is all about. I'm going to share here some information as we, as we do this this explanation so that we can have a clear understanding so and this is something that i researched as a as a grad student as part of my graduate studies the islamic concepts or islamic psychology and counseling concepts if to put into clinical practice from theory and so when i was researching this it, it was fascinating to learn about the nafs from this aspect and to be able to apply it from the psychological and mental wellness aspect so we know for example the concept of nafs in arabic it comes it's used in the quran and it's translated as the self or the soul it could be both good or evil and there are many different types of nafs that have been described in the quran so we take a closer look at that. There are three main types, right? Ranking from the worst to the better. So you see here, we've got nafs al-ammara, which is the commanding lower self. And you've got the nafs al-lawama, which is the self-reproaching. And you've got the nafs al-mutma'inna. 
So before we get into jihad and nafs, we need to understand these basic three types of the nafs that the Quran describes. And let's go a little bit further here to see each one of them in the Quran. So nafs al-ammara, you see here in Surah Yusuf, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءِ إِلَّا مَا رَحِمَ رَبِّي إِنَّ رَبِّي غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ And I do not acquit myself. Indeed, the soul is a persistent enjoiner of evil, except those upon which my Lord has mercy. Indeed, my Lord is forgiving and merciful. So you see here with this side of the nafs, the part or phase, or there's so many different ways of attributing it, right? So part, phase, because we are in constant influx throughout battling the different parts of the nafs, right? So here we see that it is prone to the lower aspects of the self, which represents the negative drives in man. And this is analogous when we look at it from a Western psychological perspective in terms of theory, it's analogous to the Freudian concept of the id, which also describes the lower parts of man. So we go on to the next part here. So sorry, rather, for example, here, you could say, it's the part of you that says, I want it now. You know, I don't care if it's right or wrong. I want it now, even though you know it's haram or it's mm. not good for you or et cetera. That id part is like that little kid that wants that lollipop and doesn't care if it's eight o'clock and it's bedtime. No reason. <laughs> so that's the, the part or the phase of the nafs al-ammara. Let's look at this next part here, which is nafs al-lawama, the self-reproaching. And we see here in Surah Al-Qiyamah, wala, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, wala uqsimu. And I swear by the reproaching soul to the certainty of resurrection. So this corresponds to the self when it becomes aware of the wrongdoing, right? And it feels the guilt or the remorse. And this is what we see here, the first major step in the psycho-spiritual growth development. Okay, And when we compare it to Western psychology again, we see that it's analogous to the Freudian concept of the superego, which is that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or why did I do that? I wish I hadn't. The could have, should have, would have, right? So this is mm-hmm. our nafs al-lawama. And then finally, we see nafs al-mutma'inna, the peaceful self, and we see in Surah Al-Fajr, Ya ayyuha nafs al-mutma'inna, irja'i ila rabbika radiyatan murdiyya. And to the righteous, it will be said, O reassured soul, return to your Lord, well-pleased and pleasing to him. Reassured, right? The state of inner peace and happiness when you feel satisfied and you content in yourself. It's that desired state that we're all aiming for from an Islamic perspective, right? The highest level of spiritual achievement. And in order to get to that stage or that state or that phase, you have to activate the lawama, the remorseful self. So now that we have a better, you know, 101 in terms of the, the self, the nafs, the soul, from an Islamic psycho-spiritual perspective, let's take a look at jihad and nafs, right? And so jihad and nafs is essentially the struggle of the self, especially against nafs al-ammara and the nafs al-lawama to get to that mutma'inna, serene place, where even when we say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Allah bi-dhikrillah tatma'inna al-qulub. I know we'll jump to that later, but the itma'inan here, that peace right there, is through this jihad al-nafs, that constant struggle that we're facing throughout the day. So let's take a look. No, that's not related to that. We'll keep it on here. But essentially what I want to say about this is that we are constantly in that influx Okay, that constant battle within the different parts of ourselves throughout the day, right? So we see here that it's really quite, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, 
significant, I guess, and that it's very comprehensive. I, you know, we've done a little one-on-one here, but you see here how you've got that jihad in nafs through, for example, sincere repentance and prayers and supplications and good acts, right? That can help us control that lower commanding self through that discipline and avoidance of acts that could cause us anxiety or remorse or depression or guilt, right? And so this nafs that we took a look at, the three parts here, is that one entity, right, with those, this, the, where the psycho-spiritual conflicts arise when the nafs al-amara is the dominating part. And so this prevents one from reaching that goal of nafs al-mutma'innah. Our conflicts, and this is where I guess we could look at it from not just a psychological, but a mental wellness and mental health perspective, these conflicts arise when the nafs al-lawama, the reproaching self, is static, right? You're not mm. feeling anything, you're stuck. And in the awareness of its guilty actions, it's not doing anything against that, or it's not proceeding forward in an attempt to reach that serene self, right? And so the point here is that that self is always in that dynamic flux, like we mentioned earlier. So the same person could experience different states within themselves at different times throughout the day, or even in a moment, or even in when something is happening. So you see here the... Uh, the implications here, how how impactful it can be on a daily basis in our lives when we're challenged with daily aspects and daily situations of, of things that can go a long way in either stopping us from reaching our full potential, right, or even uh, helping us go forward in our in our potential. So I'm glad you sorry 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 to cut you off, Barak, because I'm, yeah. I'm glad you actually um, broke that down for me because to be honest with you like as much as i've always used the word nafs um i think i've always skipped out the second one which is the lawama part right oh and yeah think, how come uh well i mean just like i mean it hasn't hasn't uh come to my knowledge as such um i've heard the term in in in, in lectures and stuff but i haven't actually like uh paid much attention to it or at least not had it kind of explained in this sense of um, this like self-reproaching, right? And to be fair, I, I was going to ask you for what reproaching means. Um, mm. But it's something that I've actually been uh, kind of thinking about this past year, which is that there's this version of self um, or, or this state rather, not a version, that we enter, which is this kind of remorseful to a fault degree, right? Like as in you commit a sin, and of course, there should be an element, you know, there should be regret to that sin, right? And, and remorse for, for not wanting to commit that again. But what I realize is that <clears throat> there's almost like a, a stagnancy that mm -hmm. becomes attractive to that, that specific state, right? Of yeah. Which is that, oh, I know what I did was wrong and it's really bad what I did was wrong, Right. And then obviously, then, then, then there's a kind of relapse to, towards the same sin again or to the same mistake or to the same kind of negative, impulsive behavior. But then you return back just to that one state back again, which is just like, oh, I regret, I regret it, right? Mm -hmm. Almost yeah. to the point where I started thinking that this is actually a very useful state for shaitan to have us in, right? This kind of constantly moping and self-loathing, like, oh, I did what I did was wrong. I'm not worthy of forgiveness, right? And, yeah. and, and there's a lot of tricks that shaitan plays in this moment, right? Tricks, for example, that you're not worthy to pray right now because of what you just did. Absolutely. Right? Um, 
your fast won't be accepted because of what you did last summer, right? Right. And 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 then it's 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 like a perfect device to kind of like keep you entrapped in there, but also not feel too bad because it's like oh, but at least I'm aware that I'm I, I've done something wrong, right? And I almost mm-hmm. feel like sometimes in our uh, religion culture, uh, I don't know how you describe it. There's a lot of emphasis almost in this like sorrowful state, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of being sorrowful and you know we've got uh, traditions like dua kamel and stuff like that and of course no one's disputing or saying these are bad things right mm-hmm. but internally almost like as a community there's not a conversation about moving from that state towards acceptance that Allah has forgiven you or will forgive you um and that kind of emancipation you know that you would feel like with that kind of burden being removed from you um it's uh, i don't really have a question at the end of that but maybe there's something that you can you can add to that yeah i wanted to add this part like we we're saying how the implications of this concept from a psycho spiritual perspective is significant to us so when we look at it from uh through the lens of mental health and and people experiencing let's say depression right it they don't choose to be depressed right they don't choose to feel everything like for example sad or if they're clinically depressed they don't choose that right but what happens here is the depression occurs when the nafs al-ammara is dominating the mutmainna part right mm-hmm. so this prevents them from reaching that inner peace from occurring and so once that person becomes aware like you were mentioning the awareness of the state of depression they are in whether it's through let's say therapeutic means or introspection or somebody points it out to them then at that point they have a choice this is where our free will and choice comes in right so they have a choice to do something about it they can either let the depression overtake them by not doing what they need to right and so essentially it is his decision your decision my decision in that point to make the choice of action that can facilitate us to reach that inner peace or that inner turmoil so we have that choice sometimes we say well you don't have the choice you just don't feel like doing anything you're just feeling so overwhelmed sometimes it just takes you know getting out of bed to start the process mm. of it instead of staying in bed all day like go to the washroom wash your face you know but or see, go have a shower or all of that and so the fact that we have that choice then we we have the ability in our hands and that empowerment to improve the quality of our life despite the challenges that we experience yeah so 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 this is the thing where when obviously when the sheikh has said that to me and I kind of like went away with it and absorbed it and stuff yeah and, and and again, I started thinking because obviously, when you think of mental health, the first kind of mental state that you think about is depression or anxiety, right? These are the kind of like two right. common words and phrases that are used um, when it comes to mental health discussions. Right. Then I'm thinking to myself, okay, hold on a sec. So if it is jihad and nafs, and depression is the form that this battle is taking place, right? That's taking place. We've okay. I've got I've got a, I've got a phrase this very sensitively, right? I feel like in the past like five years, obviously, maybe even more actually, I think it's been a decade now since we've that d- the conversation of, of mental health has become more prominent and more um, acceptable to have, which is a good thing, right? But within our communities, it's only been around five, I would say. Yeah, but yeah, in for the general sure. population, 10, yeah. For sure, right? And obviously, that's, that's amazing. It's good. It's helping people resolve the issues. Now, being cynical, I would say... There's been almost like so much conversation around mental health, anxieties, um, 
you know, and, and, and various things where it's almost absolved individuals of responsibility mm -hmm. for their own mental health, right? Where mm -hmm. it's kind of become, oh God, I cringe to even say this, but kind of become somewhat not trendy, but you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. people are updating the Instagram bios and their Twitter bios with their mental state in there now, like depressed uh -huh. or, or, you know, chronic sufferer of anxiety and stuff like that. Right. And, and, and no disrespect to them, but it's yeah. almost become like a label or like mm -hmm. we become almost too comfortable with being like that and being and, and just accepting as that and not taking any sort of individual individual responsibility to come out of those states right right mm -hmm. and i've also seen now like especially with this younger generation there's almost like um uh, again because there's no sense of accepting that you're in this position and that potentially you have the keys to get yourself out of it there's this like almost um deferring blame onto all these external factors right? right my work is like this therefore i am anxious and that's it like you know that's that's what it is my parents are like this therefore i'm depressed right and 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 then it's like it's just purely on the parents to now fix up otherwise you're not going to get out of that state right exactly yeah now how like how does one i guess because okay fine let's, let's say we both agree with the with the term that jihad and nafs equals mental health right now, obviously, jihad and nafs is every individual is going to have that, right? Every, that, that's, that's, that's the way God's created everything. Standard, right? exactly, yeah. So now how do we go from where we are, where I feel we are right now, which is this kind of position of um, just accepting mental health issues and that's it, to, no, take this as a battle, take this as a serious fight that you have to fight yourself out of individually, regardless of your external circumstances. And how do we phrase that in a, in a more polite way? Because jihad right? Like the, the struggle, that's mm -hmm. almost a trigger word, right? <laughs> in, in today's era, that's a trigger word. That almost it's needs to come a, with a bit of a disclaimer that, you know, that, you know, it's being suggested to you that you have to fight uh, mm -hmm. for, for your kind of emancipation. So how would you reconcile these two terminologies and, and, and I guess these two, um, these two paradigms? So we all have challenges that we experience that we struggle from, you know, choosing a chicken salad or a chicken burger, right? Like which is healthier, right? For your overall well-being. And you have that choice. I'm not going to answer that question. Well, I, I think your answer right there shows me you're going to go for the burger, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you go with what you feel like. You go with what you want, right? And knowing that if you take and especially if you're following a nutrition plan, let's say, and you've got a trainer and, and you know, you've got this goal that you're going towards, right? You are most likely going to choose the chicken um uh, salad over the chicken burger right if you if you don't have that discipline and you don't need to follow or you don't want to then you're gonna get that who knows you might have both right so you have that choice right there to decide what you're gonna do now when we take it to mental health this is just for our physical health when we take it to mental health it's a little bit more complicated than all right this or that right yeah it's not tangible no, it's not. Whereas with our physical health, we can choose and make these outright choices because yeah. you know you want that. But if you're depressed, probably most likely you either are going to overeat or undereat, right? So you see how that that factors in here as part of the equation that could um, Im impact you in terms of the choices that you make. And just like we said earlier, in that moment of awareness, you have the choice to either continue enabling yourself to stay in that state that negative state or 
you can now that you're aware like oh geez oh yeah I didn't realize I hadn't showered in a few days and you know my my family and my friends have hinted that and I didn't realize until they hinted it right there am I going to go shower or am I going to not shower and and it truly depends in that moment how that person's feeling like you said it's almost become a cliche now that people are labeling themselves and it's great to, and to one degree in the sense that people are being openly talking about, especially in our Muslim community, because we need to have that openness to talk about. And Alhamdulillah, the last few years with some of the projects that we've worked on, I think that has helped people open the conversation and talk more about it. But then sometimes too good of a thing can go, you know, too much. And then we don't know how to cope and deal with it. Right. Because like you said, when we go that route of, oh, I, I am not doing this because I'm severely depressed right now. It's almost like, all right, so are you going to continue with that? Allowing the depression or going with that? Because it's, it's very tricky and I'm being very cognizant of how I say it because then it sounds like we're almost being not compassionate or judgmental yeah, to the empathetic and truly yeah. struggling. Right. No, I'm not taking away from that. In fact, I'm, I'm acknowledging and validating that there are times. I mean, probably you and I have felt it. We're maybe not clinically depressed, but we have felt like mm -hmm. staying in the house for two, three days and not wanting to leave or see anybody. Doesn't make you clinically depressed per se, but it, it means that perhaps you need a little bit of downtime to rejuvenate yourself and filling up that empty cup of being, a, you know, a temporary introvert, you know, if we're extroverted, you get your energy from people around you, right? But if you're an introvert, you, you need to generate yourself again by being alone and doing things that fill up that empty cup or fill up, I always use the analogy of filling up the empty gas tank, right? So that way you have the energy to do what you need to do. Again, when it comes to mental health and clinical depression or anxiety, sometimes the person can feel that the choice is out of their hands, Awareness can help you propagate, especially if you're a person, let's say, uh, of positive outlook, generally a person, let's say, of faith who uses the tenets and, and beautiful hadiths and the ayahs from the Quran that we have to kind of use that as a, a way of life for them, because then it comes into the conversation of we have all the time, well, oh, you should just pray more or you should read more Quran and then your depression will go away. But no, we know it's not like that. But I'm saying a person who normally uses that to help them. Once they become aware, they're like, oh, yeah, what, what what do I usually do when I'm feeling low that can help me now? Do you see the difference there? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a tricky conversation to have on one hand, because it sounds like we're judging those who are mentally ill and struggling or have a disorder or have a state, because sometimes you could have a condition, you could have a temporary condition, right? Or sometimes you could have an actual clinical um, diagnosis, which is a lifelong diagnosis like diabetes, for example, right? Or it could be temporary clinical depression where not seasonal or dysmorphia, like SAD, for example, it's, you know, seasonal. So we're validating and acknowledging that, yes, in fact, sometimes somebody who is in that deep state of depression are going to stay in their bedroom for a week, are only going to get up to do the essentials, probably not eat, are going to sleep all day. It happens. Then in that moment, you also have a choice with your awareness. What am I going to do about this, right? Am I going to continue to be in this state? Am I going to continue doing the things that are going to pro uh, prolong this state, right? For example, the people that reach out to me, whether it's through social media or email or at the university when students book sessions with us they come in saying you know i feel like i have depression or i don't know what's going on and they list off a, a list of symptoms and signs 
And so we assess, and then if we feel that they need a clinical diagnosis, then we refer them to the doctors who do that. We don't do that. We can assess to say, it seems like, you know, you have this or give them a, um, a questionnaire to fill out and that we have the psychological questionnaires. And then it could give us an indication if this person is potentially experiencing A, B, C, or D. Usually, usually when that person comes, they've done the hardest thing. They've acknowledged there's something off. They've made the choice to do something about it. Lawama. Lawama. They've made the choice. Exactly. The Lawama has given them that opportunity to leave the Amara state and get to that place of heading towards that place of peace. You know, you hear people come in and say, I just want to be happy. And I'm like, oh, I can't help you with that. I can't give you a solution. I'm looking for that too. But then it's very personal. What does happiness mean? Mm-hmm. There's the clinical state of being mentally ill where truly it's hard to experience that but then there's also the state of just being not feeling joy or not feeling sadness and depression where people also want to go especially if they are severely depressed they just don't want to feel the negativity just just being there right and so when we take a look at that choice when that person comes in they've taken the hardest step right there then we look at okay so what are we going to do about it i'm very action oriented Yes, we do talk therapy, but we're in a short term kind of almost crisis type of counseling, especially in November and March when it's exam times, right? Those are, and especially when the weather changes, right? Uh, Heading into April, it it tapers off because the weather's changing, alhamdulillah. However, during this time frame, when a person comes and they're struggling, right? After they met that choice to come, then we look at, do they need to be diagnosed to get clinical support, which means medication? as part of the treatment, most of the time people don't want to go that route. They make the choice of not taking medication. They'd rather go the natural route. So what does that mean, natural route? That means taking care of your eating, your sleeping, your exercise, getting rid of toxicity around you, whether it's people or the environment that you're in. And I know sometimes it's really challenging, but this is the choice that we make to make changes in our lives, right? And so we make this natural plan for about two weeks. And I give them strategies, I give them resources, I give them workshops that I've done where it goes into explicit detail in terms of how we manage the stress, because if we don't take care of our stress properly, it can lead to illnesses, right? Including depression, anxiety. So we look at how to balance everything because when these things are in balance and you're hit with a difficult situation, you're more likely to handle that difficult situation. But if one of these things are off and you're hit with a difficult situation, it becomes very hard to handle it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we want to, build those building blocks, make them fairly solid, not 100% because there's no such thing as perfect, right? But the best that we can. So when these are balanced and you're hit with that difficult situation, whether it's, you know, not doing well on exams or family problems or relationship problems, or, you know, God forbid a car accident or somebody passes away, you're more likely to handle the stress of that, you know, that attack or that uh, sudden situation than when you don't have these things in balance. So this is what I work on with, with people is to let's get these things in balance because sometimes people are in situations they really have no control over, right? A lot of young people living at home with abusive uh, parents or an abusive partner, or, you know, you're in a workplace where your boss is just this wonderful, I'm saying sarcastically boss, right? Or there's an issue with a classmate. It could be any type of problem, perhaps that's really hard to get out of in the moment. So what do we do? We can't change the situation, but we can change how we choose to look at that situation this is a very empowering enabling concept you don't have control over 
situations. And from an Islamic perspective, of course not, God does, right? What do you have control over? How you choose to deal with the situation. This is control. Now, already when you hear these words, you feel a little bit more lighter. You feel that there's hope because what happens when you're dealing with depression or severe mental illnesses, hope, people lose hope or it diminishes over time, right? They feel helpless. But then when we start reframing the situation and start empowering, start enabling and looking at these type of strategies where you can budge something here, a little bit over here, then you see a little bit of movement. With a little bit of movement, it can make that sudden change that you've been looking for. No, for sure. It's, it's, uh, it kind of, like this year, like for me uh, personally, was, was a bit of a, a strange one, right? Because obviously uh, with, with this whole move to America thing, um, so something occurred for the first time in my life, right? Which was what, what I now believe is anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was so strange because it was like, I knew that everything's okay. So rationally, my brain's like, hello, you're fine. This is, you know, is, is what you're doing is fairly normal. Right. Um, yes, obviously it's a big move and so on and so forth. But then, like there was this like physical aspect that came to it, which was that even though the mind had kind of accepted that we're, we're, we're okay, the body kept doing butterflies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously once you feel the physical symptoms of, of something, then you start thinking about it mentally, right? You start thinking kind of um, mentally. And so for, for a while, like I had kind of taken this kind of position, which was I was almost like observing myself from like a third party perspective, just kind of going through the motions as such, as they say. Um, and through that, like, you know, I, I was really like um, listening for the whispers, right? What are, what, are, what are the whispers saying, right? And, the, and, and like kind of identifying that the fact there's there's two types of whispers. There's this kind of like destructive whisper, which is saying, hey, sabotage this trip and just stay in the UK and like kind of just do it, you know, like do what you're used to. Um, and then this, this very faint sound that, listen, it's going to be okay. Just keep going for it kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm just kind of like floating above both of these kind of conversations. And just like I said, doing the motions, like I knew what had to be done. I had to kind of almost out of necessity switch to like an autopilot mode just to kind of get through that stage. Because if mm-hmm. I kept thinking about it, I would have like, it would have been a bit of a difficult situation for myself. Right. Um, and, and so then it started making me think a lot like about the fact that when people are in this or in, in a worse crisis because that was mild but let's say they're in a much more severe crisis mentally right to the point where it's clinically diagnosable and treatable with chemicals right uh, and drugs and stuff how much can we attribute sinning to mental health and if it is you know a result of, of mental health being bad do we are we exempt from 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 committing that sin does that make sense do you you kind of get what i'm saying like at which point is it like not your fault (laughs) if you get what i mean so so this is an excellent question i think a lot of people have posed such questions before and i have to be very careful how i answer it because this comes from an islamic perspective which i cannot obviously answer from that perspective i've had discussions with scholars about this especially when it comes to suicidality right? There's been a lot over the last few years, unfortunately, in our communities. And I don't think there's been a lot more than there has been before. It's just because now we're openly talking about it. So we hear 
it more often. It has always existed there. It's just silently and hush, hush and quietly. So this type of question would fit into this type of scenario, right? And we've seen that over the years where people say, oh, it's haram what this person did. They took their soul. But what is this haram policing type of conversation mm. going to do for people, right? We know, of course, it's haram. It's forbidden to take a life, right? But if and this this type of judgment is reserved to God, not for us, right? And so this is how I usually answer this question. I can't answer such an um, a question because this comes between the person and God and their personal struggle. I think the way we can perhaps explore this a little bit more is to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the awareness the person has. If this person has awareness, they have choice to do something. If this person is not aware, then this is, again, we can't, we can't say, oh, this is sinning or this is, this person did this out of sin. We can't judge that. But you see what we're saying here. If this person had no awareness and they were so severely depressed they felt that they have lost all hope and no other alternative. They are ill. They are mentally ill. And as somebody who is mentally ill, I, I can't say this, right? We can't say this. You can't say this, that, oh, they're not accountable or they are accountable. No, we can't say that. That is, again, between them and God. However, we also have to understand, and this is where our compassion comes in, to help so it can prevent these incidences, when we are judging and being the haram police, we are pushing people towards these actions. Mm. And I've heard from people who themselves have attempted and survived. And the, these are people who are chronically dealing either with constant suicidality or chronic depression. They say, you know, they have the feeling of wanting to end their life because they don't want to feel the pain of what they're experiencing. These same people of faith hold on to their faith to help them manage these thoughts and emotions because, and I've heard this by, not just from Muslims, by the way, I've heard this from non-Muslims, people of other faith. They use their faith to help them where they say, this is the fact that my religion forbids this helps me not do this. Hmm? So that's interesting how even a person who could be severely depressed coming from a faith background, they would use that kind of law language, that lingo and say, my, my faith prevents me from doing that. I would never do that. Even though I have thoughts and feelings of not wanting to live. And this is because they don't want to deal with the pain. Our own faith gives us, so to speak, spiritual prescriptions on how to deal with this kind of pain that we use clinically as well with our clients who come from a faith-based background or an Islamic background, and it works wonders with them, especially those. And, and I hear this often from people who are dealing chronically with this, that, you know, my faith helps me going to the mosque helps me when I sit in those circles and I have love and compassion and support from people. Right. Or I read a certain saying that really made me reflect on things about life and, and how to be patient in the struggle. Right but doing something with that patience. Cause we get this idea of that we hear, you know, typically of be patient, you know, deal with the abuse or, you know, deal with the, you got to deal with that. You got to toughen up with that. You know, what do you got to be ungrateful about? What do you got to be depressed about? Why don't you be more grateful? And these are things that we cannot say to anybody dealing with mental health issues because they're judgments. 
they are judgments. They are more likely likely to push people away rather than bring them closer to you, right? So if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I've been having thoughts of sinning in terms of, I mean, they're not going to come tell you that word for word, but yeah. you know what they're saying is leading to is to an act of sin according to the faith, then being haram police on them is just going to push them away. Right. So we got to be really careful how we speak with people and even you, ourselves, if we're struggling with this, not to be so hard on ourselves, because put yourself in the opposite position, meaning somebody comes to you with the struggle. How would you respond to them? What would you say to them? Now, take what you would say to them and say that to yourself. Mm. And we forget to do that because we say, oh, I'm not worthy, like you mentioned earlier, or there's something that, you know, I could, I could handle this. I could do better, or I don't deserve this. No, you do. God created you. Therefore you do. You are a person of value of worth because God made you. Right. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. And, 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 you know, like one of the, the kind of like fascinating things um, that I find about like the human experience is the fact that the, the, the remedy for, like the illnesses that we have, whether they're physical or, or mental or even spiritual, they're they're within us, right? But we, you know, it, mm. it, it all depends on like how much of ourselves we can actually hear, and how much of that's been like filtered with, you know, pollutants uh, of various various kind. Um, and so on that note, like I wanted to kind of ask you, kind of um, some solutions, some kind of like suggestions for how people can uh come out of these states right like and obviously like we're not talking about extreme forms of mental health where you know it, it will require you know like drugs and, and, and other forms of therapy uh but i mean i mean these more kind of like milder kind of like almost um very common experiences that i guess human beings will have and particularly talk, thinking about dhikr as well maybe we can come back to that more specifically but i wanted to know if like if, the, if you've come across like solutions that are both like um you know from from a, from a secular perspective yeah pra- practical from a secular perspective but also tie in with uh, what islam says and the logic of our religion okay so i actually have uh, something i want to going to put the screen back up here and this is again from my research but it's something that i've practically put into practice with my students and clients and and presentations and and whatnot and this was based on the Ghazali, Imam Ghazali's um, steps towards change. And uh, this is both from a Sunni and Shia perspective, which is interesting. And so let's go through this because I think this is a really mm-hmm. great practical step-by-step strategies that that we can take and, and put into practice, right? And it's analogous to a business partnership. And so um, I, I just wanted to put a side note here, which was really cool. I found out about this later. I didn't know at the time as a student, but I learned this later because when I was doing my research, there was nothing on mental health and Islamic counseling and psychology at the time. I had to take loosely translated books and really barely any articles out there on mental health from an Islamic perspective. Now, mashallah, we have conferences, we have journals, we have left, right, and center professionals doing this stuff, but back then there wasn't. And I learned this later on after I I submitted all of this, I found this out. So it was really interesting here is that Mullah Muhsin Fayaz Kashani, who's a Shia scholar, was well known for his books, Mujat al-Bayda, which he wrote from the Shia point of view of Ghazali's, um, the revival of religious studies. So it's really interesting to see the connection that there for 
um, that this type of Islamic counseling and, and, and psychology has been existing since the beginning of our history, but it's only now that people are looking towards this and applying it. All right, so let's jump right into it. There's a nice cool side note there. And so when we take a look at how behavior change occurs, okay? And, and you're gonna do this with me, brother, okay? So you're gonna take something that you wanna work on, right? Mm -hmm. And the first step of this type of model is about the musharata, right? To make an agreement or contract, which comes from shart, the stipulation. So right now, think of something. You don't have to share it, but just think of something in your head. And for those who are listening, do that with yourself. And you can apply this anytime. But now, as we're speaking, think of something that you want to work on, okay? So a contract in your head. The next part is doing the muraqaba, okay? Which is to guard, comes from the word raqaba in Arabic, guard. And so now you're going, you're going to observe yourself, um, but sorry, not observe yet. You're guarding yourself here, right? And in this part, you must meditate before you take action. Meditate means here, reflect, right? Do some tafakkur and tadabbar, as we say, and reflect on, you know, contemplating and being introspective in terms of watch over your own self, right? Because then we function as our own observer by guarding and observing here. Okay, the third part is the muhasaba, coming from hisab, account, right? So evaluating yourself, taking account of yourself. This is accountability. This is huge here. This is where we're getting into it, right? And so this stage involves a self-examination where you take into account of your own action and continuously you want to be checking if you're upholding your sharat, okay? The first step. Jumping now into the muhasaba. What happens here, and I don't like that word, um, and I kind of put a twist on it. Mu'aqabak um, means to punish. I'd rather use the word control, right? Uh, because it comes from the word aqaba, to punish. And so we want to look at here is maybe control or manage, right? Or I, I like to use the word consequence as well, because there's a lot of negative of reinforcement with the word punish, right? And we want to be positive here and encourage. So what we do here in this section is that if we do not honor our initial agreement that we must set a consequence for ourselves mm -hmm. so for example if i don't um you know go do my workout today well then i'm not gonna have that chocolate cake tonight huh so that's the consequence is taking away it's not really punishing right so you kind of work and negotiate with yourself here how you're going to work with something okay again i used his terminology but i kind of put a twist on it in terms of using the positive reinforcement number five mujahada and this goes in line with our discussion today right that striving jihad effort to make that effort and so what happens here this is the step that you were fighting against your own lower self, the nafs al-ammara, right? And all of its inclinations here. So this is the stage of the continuous and, and consistent struggle to overcome your nafs. And it's an important step where the changes occur through that jihad, the nafs that we've been talking about. Finally, you have the mu'ataba, which comes from mu'ataba, to repent, to rebuke. And in this step, if you have, let's say, not reached the goal or let's say, I'm using positive words here, but essentially maintain the contract if you've not uh, maintained it, then here we make the effort to turn around, repeating 
or perhaps changing or collect, uh, correcting or modifying the contract in ways so that we can recognize the error that we've made, what didn't work, trial and error, right? So there's that nice opportunity there and flexibility. And so it is our responsibility and choice to learn from the setback to improve the next contract. And this is what it can look like for us, right? So this is a the simple model, so to speak here, of how it can be as an integral aspect of developing or, or rather using daily strategies on, you know, what can I do to work on my nafs al-ammara? What can I do on working with choices? What can I do on trying to reach my goal? And this is a simple model and it works timeless. And I do believe that Ghazali was way ahead of his time when he introduced this uh, idea, which we know from the Ahlul Bayt, they've spoken about these different spiritual steps, right? If you look at the book, um, 40 Ahadith by uh, Imam Khomeini, and uh, oh, he's got fascinating discussions in there about nafs al-mutma'inna wal-ammara and the lawama. And, and he talks about this. He talks yeah. about these different parts of ourselves of how to improve and how to work in detail. So that's an excellent resource to find that the section on that. I forget what number hadith uh, he was referring to. I'll have to look it up. Um, but um, it was part of a program that I was uh, taking and I still am now looking at these different aspects of the human self and connecting it from a psycho-Islamic spiritual perspective. So this is one strategy that I find is really, really useful is developing a contract with yourself what is it that you want to change and going through that cycle and what's nice because it's circular you have the opportunity even if you don't reach it or if it's not 100 there what can i do the next time to improve it right mm -hmm. and always that see that compassion that self-compassion so this is a really nice uh, one to work with i like that you mentioned that as well the, the kind of like the circular nature of it because at one point i was like okay when's What's step number seven when it's all accomplished? Do you get what I mean? Like the yeah. Nirvana, right? Um, but that's not that's not a realistic uh, expectation to have. And of course, uh, there'll always be room for improvement and we should all be obviously striving for perfection, which is uh, an endless pursuit. But that's that's the goal that we've been set here on this planet. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about like the, the role of vicar. Um, so I feel like something that's interesting um, taking place in like the wider world at the moment, of course, is... Um, and I think we're going to have probably more podcasts about this in the future, like yeah, spiritualism, right? The revival of like spiritualism, but like not religion, right? So it's like um, mm -hmm. religion, but without the without God, basically. God. Without right? God, um, secular, yeah. And 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 it's interesting because I feel like even I mean it's a, it's a side note, but I feel like even with the kind of almost deliberate exclusion of God, it's it's still God whether you like it or not. But like it's almost like you know. You can you can try to escape it, but what you are doing is 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 godliness. So it's it's the have net result the is the joke? same. Have you heard of the joke of the atheist who says, you know, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God, and something terrible happens. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is what? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so um so it's like for example, at the moment there's this conversation around um uh I think it's called uh, positive affirmations, right? Mm -hmm. Um and and obviously, it's like, you know, say these words to yourself in the morning and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, one of the common questions that you, you've probably been asked as well, um, and I've had for a very long time was, you know, you have a bad thought in your head, right? Mm -hmm. Now, before it's an act, right, before it's a sin, it's just a thought, right? And oftentimes, it seems impossible to control a thought, right? If I tell you not to think of a red elephant, you're going to think of a red elephant, right? 
So now you're up against a sin or an addiction um, or, or a sinful addiction. And now it's like, okay, how do I control that thought? Right? Because that thought is the first kind of trigger. And then, you know, it can consequent in, in, in the actual act. Um, so I asked one of my mentors about this, actually. I said, look, like, what's what's the remedy for this? Right? We, I've even had, like, people messaging the Muslim vibe and saying, hey, I have bad thoughts. What can I do? And I'm like, well, I, I don't really know. Right? Um, and he said the dhikr of saying la ilaha illallah is the remedy to for that. Right? So... Um, you know, repeat la ilaha illallah the minute or the second a bad thought occurs to your mind and keep repeating mm-hmm. it and that will right. cleanse the mind and the thoughts from the ba- badness and leave it only with Allah. And obviously if you think about the structure of the sentence la ilaha illallah, it actually indicates that as well, right? That there is no other thing, there is no other um, God, right? right? Um, but Allah, right? So you kind of remove the bad thought and then fill it with Allah. So that's, I was okay, that, that kind of makes sense and it, and it works. Um, and, I, and I found myself like doing it quite often actually, um, mm-hmm. and and realized it worked. How did you find it? Oh, it worked. No, no, no. If for, for sure it did, right? Because if, yeah. if you think about like, the purity of that statement itself, right? It's, it's not. You can't. You can't. You can't really. Can't like, deny it. You can't yeah, you deny can't. It. Yeah, you can't really take anything away from it to get what I mean. There's not, it's so simple. It's like la ilaha illallah, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you, you know whatever it is that you're thinking at that time, you know it. It naturally itself, like if you concentrate on the words and what you, the statement that you're saying is naturally, it will uh, result in nothing being in your mind except Allah and goodness. Um, so I wanted to know, like, if you've if you've come across any specific dhikr, um or if if you're like, I mean, just in general, what your idea is about like dhikr as as a concept to kind of uh, improve mental health. Well, definitely the basic stuff which we've all heard growing up, you know, salah, dua, and so on and so forth. And and part of the research that I did was exploring each one of them in more depth and detail in terms of how they affect us. And that's a whole other workshop and and a whole other session on its own, just talking about the the effects of salah. Um, A lot of research has shown, for example, just the act of prayer, what happens to you from a, um, a, a, what's the word? Um, musculoskeletal perspective right in terms of the blood flow to the brain and the the brain scans they've done on patients or or, um, subjects i guess in the act of prayer and what it does to muslim and non-muslim let's say people so subjects i don't like using the word subject which i'm (laughs) placing here but essentially what they saw from these studies is that even muslims who acted and, and performed the movements of the prayer, they notice an impact on their stress levels decreasing, which is incredible. Because when you look at the act of prayer, right? What, what does it mimic? What does it mimic almost the movements of yoga? If you mm. think about it, right? The bending of the, the forehead onto the ground, the different positions, the muscle tension and release. These are all very similar to our Salah movement, right? And so, like I said, the studies were done to see what happens in that movement and the blood flow to the brain, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on how exciting and fascinating it is. Essentially, the layman's just going to know that, okay, so prayer is good for you. But those who are interested in knowing how and why, I guarantee you, you're not going to look at Salah the same way again. No way. 
And I find when we do that in the, in the presentations that I do in different centers and Muslim centers, subhanAllah, this presentation always tends to be around Salah time. So when we finish heading into Salah, we're in this whole other spiritual state of understanding the psychology and biology behind Salah and how it really can impact us. And going into Salah with that knowledge can go a long way in perhaps helping somebody down the road because what you're doing in Salah, you're using words of dhikr. Like you said, mm. Allah, the word Allah is in that. Allah says in the Quran, and I use this all the time. And I said it earlier, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim from Surah Al-Ra'ad, Thunder. Verily with the remembrance, dhikr of Allah, do the hearts find peace, serenity, tranquility, right? Oh, yeah. And so we know any form of dhikr where you're going to meditate. What does meditate really mean? It means to focus your full attention and Push everything else away on that oneness of what you are doing, whether it's salah or connecting to God subhanahu wa ta'ala. I know people say, oh, there's a lot of, you know, non-Islamic connection to meditation and Buddhists and so on and so forth, which is devoid of God. But we still have our forms of meditation, for lack of a better word. Our own salah is a form of meditation. How? Because you are focusing on the oneness of God as you're submitting yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right now, through using Quran as a way, I mean, now, like we said, you know, there's this hip uh, movement of, you know, all this positive affirmations, which I think is great. But, you know, we have this rooted in the Quran. We have this yeah. rooted in the hadith of the prophets and the Ahlul Bayt, alayhim. for example, the prophet had this beautiful saying of saying, propagate goodness, you will find it. Which is all about positive affirmations and positive psychology right there in that one statement. Why are we, do we get so excited about, you know, what's happening now when it comes to this kind of thing? When we've had it rooted in our faith so long ago, if only we reflect, if only we look, what does Imam Ali say with a beautiful quotation that it's been attributed to him? You have a whole, and I'm paraphrasing, but you have a whole universe within you, right? If only you reflect. This word reflection is all about, again, that tafakkur wa tadabbur, that deep introspection of connecting. And we've heard this from our scholars, you know, we've heard this in our hadith. What's the use of, you know, praying X many amounts of prayers, right? And you're not really feeling much or connecting to God much or, you know, being on that spiritual level. Whereas you could have this one statement of the Quran instead of reading the whole thing. And we hear this in Shahar Ramadan, right? If you just read that one statement and you do that deep introspection and reflection and meditate upon it, that has more value and worth than doing reading the whole Quran just for the sake of reading it and finishing it during that month. There's still blessings. We know the scholars of teach course, us that. Yeah, yeah. But you see there, right there, that's how we can answer these questions. Because just us saying, go pray, go read a, a supplication, you know, or go read the Quran, that's not going to do anything. That's alienating people, especially people who are struggling with faith, especially youth who are struggling with faith. Somebody comes to you with depression and you go shout, you know, tell in their face, well, I think you need to increase your faith or you're making them feel worse by saying, oh, your faith is so low, you should have more iman. Again, that's using the haram police judgment type of tone mm. and policing them. You're pushing them away. You're not going to draw them in. I've had clients who come in and, you know, we talk about the issue. They say I'm a Muslim. They're Muslim. But we don't talk about that. We talk about the issue, what they've come in for. But subhanAllah, later, once we've kind of, you know, reduced the stress of their academics or the family problem or whatever the issue is, I find some of them come back and say, 
you know, I used to pray and I stopped praying or I used to wear the hijab and I this and that, or da, da, da. it just comes out because they felt safe enough to talk about things and there's no judgment there. And so I would flip it back and say, I've always said, so what would you like to do about it? What, what do you want? You see, the therapist is not telling them what to do, especially when it comes to spirituality and, and connecting to God, but rather you put it back on the onus of the, of the person and say, what do you want? What would you like? What would make you feel good? Right. And so obviously the person's going to say things like, well, I want to pray again, <laughs> or I want to read more Quran, or, you know, I want to stop drinking, or I want to stop doing this or this, this and that, because yeah, they are committing acts of sin. They know it themselves. And some have no remorse and we're not there to judge them with that. And some will have absolute remorse and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel this way. The guilt is really killing me and making me self-harm, for example, right? For lack of a better word. So what we do then is with that compassion, we make a plan together. So how are we going to do this? Well, perhaps let's set a timer on your phone. Let's try and get in a few prayers through the day and increase it day by day. How, what do you feel? And then you get the person to give you the solution, not us telling them what the solution is. Dhikr. Tasbih, you know, I have this beautiful subhad that my friends in Australia gave me. Um, I just randomly have stuff here and there always in front of me, like trips from Ziada, which give me a dhikr as well. Um, what else here? There's a, a beautiful bracelet from Kafal Abbas, you know, uh, or my my rings that I got in Najaf or Karbala, wherever. I would say these are a form of dhikr whenever I see the, for example, the visual dhikr. Yeah, yeah, visual dhikr of Imam it's Ali. It's like um, right? one of the, one of the, what do you call it? The, the, canvases that i had in my house it's just it's still in shipping right it's still coming from uh, london at the moment uh it was alhamdulillah right so it's like this uh, design calligraphy thing that I did it's actually my own it's the Beautiful. first artwork piece of my own that i actually ordered to the house um and obviously with with the little one growing up and stuff um you you, you want to decorate your house right to kind of feel like you're in a muslim household right you can't just have like gray walls and stuff like that as much as right. i love my minimalism and stuff um but then I was kind of like thinking about like, what's the one sentiment I want there to be attached to like home when you walk in the first thing that you see, right? Even in your subconscious, right? Like, so uh, we went with the canvas that said, Alhamdulillah. Um, and yes, I, I, I feel like, I feel like these, these little, um, little hacks almost, right? They're like almost like hacks to, towards your really? thing, right? They, 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 they're, they're really important and can make such a big difference uh, in our lives. Um, there's a separate conversation we need to have uh, Barak, I feel in, in, in a future podcast, inshallah, uh, talking oh, right. about about these kind of uh, interfaith uh, hacks again, right? Because mm -hmm. like yoga is a big thing at the moment. I mean, it has been for a while, to be fair. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, Buddhist meditation and stuff like that. And uh, even like Christian theological thoughts, like for example, the 12 step program and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a, the conversation to be had about the different faiths and what they have to offer. Um, and, and the fact that, in my opinion, at least, I feel like there's a major, major overlap with Islam um, and what Islam actually says. But, you know, it's, it comes down to the fact that we haven't actually done the, 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 the research and the digging ourselves. Um, I'm so mindful of, of time. It's, it's, it's been yeah. a really, really good conversation. And I feel like it hasn't, uh, there's so much more to talk about. I think I could sit here for another two hours and pick your brain Absolutely. a lot more um, around this. But of course, the benefit is that you're our regular uh, podcast guest when it comes to mental health issues. And inshallah, we'll have you again on soon. 
Um, next time, we'll try to kind of include some questions from the general public uh, when it comes I to I actually included them. I included some of the questions that oh, were nice. sent. And, and so we want to put it out there for our audience members. Inshallah, we'll be doing this more regularly, like we said, and we'll announce it. And then people could, you could send in your specific questions for scenarios that you're stuck in, any mental health questions that you have. We'll do our best to explore them, inshallah. So inshallah, we'll continue with this. So that way people can feel included and also have some of their questions addressed anonymously as well. If uh, people are shy or embarrassed or, you know, hard to speak about things For that are sure. very personal. Sure. I just want to quickly say, I know we're run out of time yeah. because when we talk about dhikr, um, there's so much that we can talk about that, like we were saying. But um, a few things that I, I've learned along the way from people who were the scholars themselves or people who practice the scene, you said, La ilaha illallah. Uh, what was taught to me, Al Wadud, mm. one with love and calmness and the names of God, if you meditate on them. And when I say meditate, to really reflect and repeat them over and over again. And I think there's some, there's like whole books or scholars out there who've spoken about specific types of dhikr and what they can do for us. I was just talking about it from a psycho spiritual perspective, the effect of using this how it impacts you but there's tons out there and the beautiful if you look at sahifat sajjadiyah the the whispered prayers of imam sajjad there's actual dhikr in there and supplications that have to do with anxiety that have to do with depression that have to do with the overthinking and different states of the nafs so i highly recommend for people to check those out with the mental state of you know oh we've got a lot of this western you know and hip type of uh you know, positive affirmations out there. But, you know, we have our own, if we only look at it from that lens that we've actually had it all along, like you said, the research, but to go back to what we have from the lens of what we understand from modern psych and wellness and, and so on and so forth, because then you have a different appreciation for, for sure. it, inshallah. For sure. Barak, I'll ask you for one uh, favor before you go. Um, if you could just uh, send me some links for further reading. Um, specifically on like the Jihad and Naf, so you mentioned 40 Hadith and some other books and stuff. Um, so just send me those links and what I'll do is I'll include those in the description uh, for this podcast episode uh, so that if anyone wants to do any further reading, they'll have access to those resources. Uh, Barak, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, of course, this is not the last time we're going to be speaking. We're definitely going to be speaking again soon. Um, we'll talk but, all the time inshallah <laughs> inshallah inshallah in fact you know you've given me some ideas as well for uh, some social media content as well that we can create off the back of this as well like the six inshallah. steps of Imam Ghazali inshallah I'll look to design that as a carousel inshallah do you want me to send you what I have the information yeah if you could that'd be great inshallah inshallah yeah. sounds good all right Bar Barak all right. take care and we'll you speak too. soon inshallah take, take care assalamu alaikum so that was our conversation with Barak. I hope you found it uh, insightful. I definitely did. Uh, I really kind of, um, it took me, you know, like the, the part about nafs al-lawama. For me, that was, I guess, today's biggest learning for myself personally, because there is that state of like remorse and regret that sometimes becomes our safe space, but that's not necessarily where we want to actually be either. Um, and somehow it feels valid to be in that space because, well, at least you're acknowledging the fact that you've done something wrong, right? Uh, so I found that to be quite insightful and inshallah that will help me as well kind of figure out some of my own stuff. Um, guys, I uh, just wanted to explain the bald head. Uh, so if you made it this far in the podcast, then uh, then, then you, this is little Easter egg, not an Easter egg, what's this called? Little tidbit is for you. Um, so I was, I was trimming my hair today and then the, the razor, the trimmer broke halfway through. Not broke, it just stopped working. I don't know, it was really annoying. Um, so uh, I don't know whether it was a good idea or not, but I decided to kind of shave the whole thing off. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd share that with you if you're watching and you're thinking 
where's this egghead come from uh, that's basically the the story behind that um, guys as usual uh, please uh, subscribe comment like videos all that stuff uh, check the link in the description for some of those resources that we mentioned as well um, and please do share this podcast with your friends and family um, really appreciate it because obviously we're just trying to grow this again um, but yeah inshallah more interesting uh, guests and topics to be announced in a couple of days um, the next one maybe the next one is either going to be Muhammad Javad Shamali he's been a popular guest in the past um, but also uh, next week I'm going to be recording a podcast with um, a brother named Shabazz behind Ramadan Legacy Planners um, and if you don't know what that is you can quickly go google it um, but yeah very interesting new kind of uh, venture for him as well and so we're going to be kind of looking into that and, and again it's going to be very much focused around spiritualism mental health and and basically us becoming our better best versions of ourselves so uh, stay tuned and uh, again please share this podcast i don't want to ask a hundred times uh, but yeah at the moment we just really need to kind of get that push out again so really appreciate you making it this far in the end and i have forgotten i had an idea again for signing out and i've forgotten again so we're just going to end it here take care guys salam